Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Church of Penten podcast. May the cores be our saviors. I am Yaspira, your head of ceremony, and joined with me today are my apostles, John Tata and Cosmic. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing today? Doing pretty good. Ready for another service. Yeah, doing great. <laughs> so honestly, I'm not entirely sure how long that bit is going to go. Like I'm really leaning into the whole church thing. Um, I actually was looking up on Amazon to see how much like a robe and garments would cost me. And I, at this point, I'm fairly certain I'm just going to roll up to a grand open at some point, just wearing like priest garments and just kind of running down the thing. Yeah, I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as a quick uh, introduction uh, this podcast is to kind of give us uh, a more uh, compact way for us to be able to kind of talk about our game give our thoughts something that's a little bit more uh, flexible than having to put very structured out videos for youtube and everything here we can just have discussions have back and forths uh, and kind of give a, a more broad view and maybe go deeper into topics than we could otherwise uh, in terms of battle spirit saga the game uh, the organized play structure and kind of everything surrounding that. Uh, as a first episode, I think it's important for you guys to understand kind of who we are, what we do, and what place we have in terms of being a part of this community. And then in future episodes, I think we'll really kind of find our pace. So, of course, if there's anything in terms of how you guys would like to see this show to go out, uh, any segments or anything like that, then just let us know in the show's comments or in the comments down below of the video version of this. And of course, this, we will aim to have this podcast be available everywhere uh, so not only on youtube if you're watching the video version now uh, but as well as spotify uh, youtube podcast apple Podcasts, and all that great stuff so to kick it off into introductions i'm Isphere. i've been playing card games for the past five or six years i first started playing magic the gathering in terms of properly like of course when i was like a 10 year old i played Yu-Gi-Oh with like uh, uh, with uh, without sleeves or anything like that. And uh, I was hardcore cheating my friends by just stacking my deck every time I shuffled thinking I was this big ring guy. Not so much anymore, but uh, when it comes to actually picking up a card game, played MTG, grinded through uh, uh, regional qualifiers and with aims to try to hope to get the Pro Tour. Never got there to that point um, as I did switch out to games, jumped into Dragon Ball Super Card Game, which was my first real jump into Bandai games. And from there, I play a bit of everything. Um, even just today, I picked up Alestrals and I did a box opening of that. But uh, Bandai games have very much been my home over the past few years. Uh, I've commentated and participated at nationals and worlds across every single Bandai game. And now with the uh, Battle Spirits, uh, it almost feels like a return to form into a, a game that's more like fantasy based and things like that, which is a little bit different than the IP games I've been playing for a while. So really loved where it got me with the demo and been jumping full core into there. Um, and actually, one of the things that helped me jump into it was Cosmic, your videos. So if you want to let the people know kind of like where yeah. where you're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. So, hey everyone, my name is Cosmic. I've been in the Japanese, specifically, trading card game space for almost 10 years. Uh, before getting into content creation and all that stuff, I was just an MTG grinder, went to PTQs and stuff like that. But I actually got my start in Force of Will, uh, which was, again, almost 10 years ago now. I was the head judge of the game for the first entire year and a little bit into the next year beyond that. Um, and then from there, I just fell into a bunch of different Japanese-based tra trading card games. Obviously, did spend some time with Bushy Road. Played Dragoborn, played Luck and Logic. Basically, I have played every single Japanese trading card game that has come out in the last 10 years. And then, of course, I've also dabbled in things like L5R and uh, Versus System, a bunch of other stuff that's come out in that time as well. But for me, um, I really loved Kaijudo, and that's what kind of started things off and just wanting to make content creation. So while I don't always focus on what I'm going to be, you know, 
what game I play at the highest competitive level all the time. I really just love making content for the games I am currently enjoying. I did play Flesh and Blood for a little bit. I didn't make content for it because I just didn't love it as much as I do love Battle Spirit Saga, for example. And for this one, um, it is actually a little bit more of like, I do care like about the game quite a bit. I want to play competitively. I've went to Tulsa, got my Pro Tour invite, going to Monroeville this weekend. Uh, excited to play some more. And just I just really love the game. So it's been really nice to kind of get back to it, get back in like the grinder kind of mindset and just battle through it the best that we could. And, you know, I got to give a shout out over here to John Tata, who I've known for uh, quite a bit as well, just being able to go to these events and have a great time with. So, John, why don't you kick it out for us next? Yeah, great. So uh, my path is actually kind of the polar opposite of Cosmics and uh, more like, you know, Spears. Uh, albeit longer. Uh, I started playing games about 25 years ago, so it kind of shows my age a bit. But I started uh, mid-90s with Magic. Um, you know, once they kind of ramped up the Pro Tour, uh, I became very interested. You know, as as a young kid, you know, I always looking for uh, competition, and card games was like the natural outlet for me. So jumped in on Magic, played Pokemon briefly, um, way, way early when it first came out. Uh, you know, after years of magic, uh, pro tours here and there, I jumped to a game called versus system, uh, that came out in the early two thousands. Then after that went away, played the wild TCG, uh, you know, a few other games here and there that, that, you know, no one's ever heard of and eventually stumbled on JTCGs with, uh, dragon ball. So, uh, play dragon ball for, three four sets then it got a little wild um and then started playing a few other games uh argent saga uh, a couple other games here and there but i've been i mean i guess semi-retired for the past five six years but still travel you know battle spirits is the first game where i've actually like started traveling you know quite a bit again and i love battle spirits and uh you know that's that's where i am now yeah, a hundred percent. I I think there's not a game under the sun that you haven't at least touched your try try tried a little bit, John. <laughs> yeah, I I always joke with friends. I say, how many TCGs have you played? And I'm like, well, how many have I played? Probably over a hundred. How many mm-hmm. have I like actually like played competitively? Like I don't know, ten, twelve, maybe. But yeah, there are like I like to try every game, you know, because I just like card games. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, not all of them have that edge like you know battle spirits magic the big games that have like a big competitive circuit yeah yeah 100 percent. i think i think um the biggest click for me when i was demoed battle spirits is when i basically found out that you can use your cores however you want whenever you want and the fact that like you can use them off of your spirits during combat to be able to activate magics from there kind of was that like final like okay so this is where the skill expression the resource management of the game really comes together it's being able to establish your board and then being able to use your resources pretty flexibly in terms of however you want um which like lord knows i have caused many losses on my side because i just didn't account for a core theft and i'm like oh okay so i can't use my stuff ella as my i want so um i think that's where the real like wow moment for me was when i picked when i got the game demo to me yeah the resource system is kind of a big appeal for me too because it's a lot different from you know, other games that we've played, you know, either having, you know, your resources in your deck like Magic or Pokemon or something like you play resource from your hand face down, like, you know, versus system or something like that. So this is kind of a unique spin on it. And it's, you know, I, I think it's great. 
I think it's definitely one of those areas too where a lot of players can get tripped up because, you know, as you mentioned, uh, resources in deck and then things like Hearthstone or Shadowverse where you're just gaining every single turn. So yes, in Battle Spirits as well, in Battle Spirits Saga, you are getting a core every turn, but then it's that next level of, okay, I need to put it on my spirits. I want to power them down or power them up in the middle of combat. And that's going to have a very large impact on how some of the turns can play out. And I don't think that's one of the areas where people who, you know, can really dive into it until you play quite a few games and really start to understand that kind of a spirit dimension, like the real aha moment where how impactful that can be and how much it changes gameplay on, on a game to game basis. And it was really, again, why I fell in love with the game and why I continue to just absolutely love the dynamic that it adds. Mm-hmm. I um actually I was watching a, a developer video, a game design video by Ben Broad and uh, found out about four or five months ago that Hearthstone's mana system is actually inspired by OG Battle Spirits. The notion of getting like one mana every single turn. I'm like, I didn't even. And it just goes to show you can get inspiration from any source. <laughs> um, so in terms of introductions, that's who we are. Um, in, in terms of like our place in the game, uh, we're actually all qualified, almost all qualified uh, for the season two grand open uh, between John and myself. We've also top 16, the pro the first pro tour, um, which allows us to be worlds qualified. I'm sure uh, Cosmic will be joining us there once he uh, takes down the Netherlands <laughs> in uh, in about a month and a bit. Uh, so we're we're well entrenched in terms of the gameplay, but also have deep appreciations for uh, the more fun aspects of the game. While some would argue that right now it's a uh, depths the game, uh, we're not uh, also uh, so deep into it that we're against just trying to play a bunch of different things. Um, I, I think uh, John was actually on one of your videos recently, Cause uh, doing like a big red versus. I can't remember what you were playing there, but, you know, just trying fun, different things. Spoiler, something yellow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, no, you were playing the white deck for that video. Oh, for okay, yeah. I've been playing a lot of yellow lately because I just did another <laughs> video on it, but um, Raphael's going to be good. Set three, I'm telling myself, man, bird folk, it's coming. I, I want to believe. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to be looking through the lens of that. Um, naturally, we lean a little bit more competitive because the game has so many incentives to play competitively from the cash prize and everything like that. But we do love every aspect of the game and try to bring some of that love across the board. So in terms of things that are currently pressing with the community, um, first, I guess it's important to kind of mention that like Monroeville is coming up. It's the next tournament that's coming up this weekend. Um, I will actually be working the technicals of the broadcast, so nothing front facing, but I'll be helping and at the event. Uh, But both of you guys will be out there playing as well, correct? Yep. Yep. Yeah, so uh, both of you guys actually played out in Tulsa. Um, Cosmic uh, finishing in the top 32. Uh, John's aggro run, unfortunately, uh, not going uh, as hot, which is nuts to me because I think your deck was actually super well positioned given how much Axe Spider we saw. But, you know, these kind of things that'll happen. I have no doubt that you'll get yourself a, a straight invite, at least going into uh, Monroeville. And uh, are yeah. you guys excited for the event at least? Or Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I am excited i mean i say that reluctantly <laughs> but you know i i enjoy playing battle spirits so mm-hmm. i hope that i can play some games of battle spirits you know and say sure. there's seven rounds like i hope at least four of them are games of battle spirits so you know we'll we'll have to see but you know i did finish in the 40s in tulsa mm-hmm. so you know the invite could trickle down but i'm still sticking to my guns and not playing axe spider in uh pittsburgh so maybe that's stubborn, but, you know, it's that's where we are. Right. So what would you define as playing a game of Battle Spirits, John? <laughs> so a game of Battle Spirits is an interactive game between two players. 
there are certain cards in the game right now that prevent interaction. Mm. So, you know, in, in Tulsa, I think I probably played two matches of Battle Spirit. So I'm I'm hoping it's Pittsburgh to uh, double that. Yeah. Actually, similar to me, um, we actually both ended up playing Tim, um, who actually ended up top eighting the event. Um, and I have to agree with you that uh, that was definitely one of the more uh, fun games of Battle Spirits I played that day, just because of the way that he was playing a green aggro deck, which lent itself to a lot of exhausting your opponent's things on their own turn and back and forth. So I'm flashing things in. He's flashing things in. Um, and I can't remember who said it specifically. It might have been cause. It might have actually been you, John. Um, but Battle Spirits is the most fun when you get to express yourself in the com- in combat. Um, and I think the yeah. the the way that that lends itself like okay it's the back and forth of i can use my cores on my spirits but that will level them down then i become susceptible to burning force and xyz and i think when you really start delving deep into kind of that is kind of when it's the most fun yeah i mean shout, shout out to tim like that was you know i think he said it too that was the best three games of battle spirits that i've played in months like they were three really close games and i think that happens a lot when two you know white aggro green aggro plays but you know it was back and forth a lot of trying to figure out like how can i force the damage this turn so on and so forth like those are the best games play Mm -hmm. i mean at the end of the day it's a namesake right battle spirits we want to go into combat we want to have interaction for it and so much of what we see right as the game is designed a lot of the spirits do have when attacks built into them and that's what we're going to see especially with blue around the corner I know a lot of people are maybe excited or not excited for the mill decks to come out, but I love mill and battle spirits because it does have that when attacks side of it, right? You still have to go into combat. It's not like magic where they just sit back behind a bunch of crabs to date myself or modern uh, mill um, and mill you out passively, right? Like, no, you have to care about combat. You have to go to the attack step. Your opponent has to be able to respond one way or another. And if they remove your spirit, spoiler, you're not going to get to mill a lot. So you know, as the game has kind of evolved to a point with like depths and some other things in the format, it's been really hard because they play the depths and you're like, well, all right, now I don't really care about combat as much because I'm just going to net them a bunch of cards. So I think there's a really good game to still be played. And as somebody who's just been, you know, brewing up some yellow jank and some other like off color stuff, right? There's a lot of fun to be had with all the BP minusing effects or the buff- buffing effects. And like, maybe it's just me because I've been using it so much in yellow, but I really love the radiant spells. I think those have a spot more in various decks if we had the chance to free up some deck slots for it in yellow i think it's going to be the best anyways because of what you want to be doing naturally in yellow but i think those cards are a little bit underrated so that's my little plug of i hope we can get some freed up deck slots soon because i want to put more things more meaningful magic into my decks instead of having to be uh stuck with kind of the the blessed what 12 14 cards or (laughs) whatever it is now that everyone's running yeah, I think um, like we're not going to turn this whole episode into a shocker like, hey, Ben Depp's episode, right? I don't think that's kind of like our goal for our first episode. We're not trying to try to up, especially since the community has been so on top of it. I've made a video on it. Cosmics made multiple top cut videos, which were essentially kind of like, hey, look at the numbers and make your own uh, execution there. Uh, John's been a big push on like the Facebook and the and the Discord as well on the conversation. So uh, but I think the general consensus is just that generally um, I don't even think from like like if you ignore power level, you ignore data. I think the biggest issue is that that once depth hits the board, you kind of just stop playing the game. You're that you have two options: either find your out to depths, play your own depths, and now you're kind of going back and forth on how many cards you draw with your opponent. Um, or I guess the third option um, is just realize that you need to end your opponent in like two turns, or by then they've just drawn too much, and then you can't. They'll just have answers for everything you do. Um, so 
I think I think that's the world in which it's really annoying. And then when you account for the fact that it does that by drawing cards and then your opponent just has everything all the time because they do have their deck, that's kind of where it lends itself to non-games. And then it lends to just kind of your best top decks and hoping that you can just immediately answer to a point where during your interview um, with uh, Zach, who actually just went Tulsa, you're saying that during their playtesting, they would just tutor a burning force if someone played down to depths, just because you can account for the game to be a non-game if you don't see the immediate answer to it. So, yeah, yeah, and you know, it's it's just one of those things where you have to think. It's like, okay, with depths, what's the punish, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, the punishes now are a five, you know, core magic card, you know, like burning force or a six mana red dragon right like andromeda and i guess mm-hmm. now we have the uh vulture so like these really like when they play depths you can't really punish them for spending six resources to play depths like because you have to spend at least four or five yourself to get rid of it so you're supposed to be able to get ahead in the game by you know killing their six mana card and we just can't so i think that's part of the reason why it's so you know, oppressive is that there's nothing that we can do to really punish the depths player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's the biggest thing is the fact that everything in terms of Nexus interaction is so centralized around red, which I understand. I'm not like I like there's the notion in magic where like black doesn't interact with enchantments. There's a couple of cards that do that in the past year or two, but I won't get into that. But uh, nevertheless, it's the notion that colors are good at separate things. And I and that I totally agree with. But the but the fact that like to interact with a very like impactful component of the game like that is literally just get rid of it or in white you can bounce it which is like fine it is it, really tough and like yes battle spirits is the game where you can splash everything but like how many times if you do have the answer does the game just go opponent play depths pass you play burning force pass and then like the game just kind of resets there cool we just eat we we both ramped a core is effectively all we ended up doing. And the game state is exactly the same. And like, here's to hoping you don't drop a second one. Um, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Or with blue around the corner, we might even get some ways to get it back out of the graveyard, right? We have the card in the lore set, but uh, for those that don't know blue, one of their main gimmicks, uh, they are the Nexus focused color. So you want to have literally like four or five blue Nexus in play at a time. And how do you do that? Well, you get to play Nexus cards from your graveyard for free. So there's also that consideration as well in terms of how it's going to uh, play out. The thing I will say is blue is very greedy. They are they do want to be very heavy mono blue focused just because of the reduction symbols and they get heavily rewarded for it. But um, you know, set three spoilers will be starting hopefully Friday. I guess the trailer should be this Friday, maybe next Monday. Um, soon TM is <laughs> as much as we can say. Yeah, so I'm excited to see that. Um, there was a part of my brain that was like, okay, so maybe because like there's two things. One. Um, I can understand the notion of wanting a band to kind of fix a format like that. But I'm also very much a player who's like, maybe we just need to find the solutions. Now, it turns out the solutions don't work out as well as we'd want them to. But I do like seeing if we can beat it. Right. And in my head, I'm like, OK, well, if blue comes out by after the Pro Tour and like it fixes everything, maybe it could just be like a temp thing where like depths, it goes away for a minute and then it can come back after because nothing has to be permanent. Uh, so I'm like, okay, so maybe blue comes in and then we mill out the depths player somehow or whatever. Right. But then it turns out that because blue is the Nexus centric color, it turns out it probably just is more of a depths enabler than it is a, a depths punish than anything else. So. Yep. And the other thing to consider too, coming from battle spirits to battle spirit saga, they also have to 
kind of reassess how much they're going to be milling on a turn. Now we have what I like to call Saga is kind of battle spirits with patch notes because we have seen minor balance changes to cards they had in the OG battle spirits to now Saga, but then also keeping in mind we're going from 40 card decks to 50 or up, upwards of 60. So by just the nature of changing how the game has been built from the base rules, they're probably going to also change the mill cards to either, you know, ho- hopefully mill more in the sense that it's because you have a, a higher deck count, right? But there's also the consideration is like, oh, what if they do it too much? And then now you're milling way over the top of what they need. So I'm really curious to see, especially for how safe green kind of felt with set two and them just playing it really kind of like middle of the road, like no hand reverse, no stick bug. I don't forget. I don't remember what the stick bugs actual name is, but it's hand reverse on a spirit. Um, I'm going to be shocked if we don't see things like strong draw for blue or see some of the other like key mill centric cards. So I'm really curious to see where that ends up just from a purely balancing standpoint. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that'll be cool, though, will be finally having all the colors. Um, yes. One of the cards I hate from the first set um, is Enterprise. And just because like it effectively shuts like it's one of those cards that shuts off playing the game. Right. If if Enterprise hits the board. Um, I want to say like 90% of relevant cards can't interact with your opponent anymore. Um, that's a little bit less now that there's green. So now you could at least exhaust your opponent's things and still kind of make plays on that front. Uh, and I'm looking forward to blue's ability to kind of complete the color pie and now put yourself in a position where uh, maybe we can have more of a shifting meta in terms of like, oh, well, if, you know, Red and purple are really good now, but turns out blue is like an incredible punish for that. And then for some reason, yellow just like trumps on on blue incredibly. So I think having every color opens up the game to at least us having more of the checks and balances that the game is probably missing to make it feel like it's not over centralized. Because here's the thing I've told so many players that you get rid of depths, arguably Axe Spider. I'm fine with like the limit. I think limit one is also a perfectly fine option. Um then you're still probably in a position where red and purple are the best colors because they just have the best cards. They have the best draw advantages. Also, anyone who says I was purple going to draw without depths, you are on the pipe, my guy. Like purple, literally every other card says draw a card. If you are having card draw issues in purple, you are playing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, you know, between Black Lance, I mean, like Dragon Aga Assassin, Dragon Aga Swordsman, like literally every other playable card says draw X cards. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they don't need depths. Sure, they like it, but it's not like, oh, man, they took my depths away. Now I can't draw cards. Like, my guy, you'll draw cards. Yeah. And Smoke Valley draws you tons of cards because, like, Purple does the self-destruction thing. So now you you got Lamorax. So, like, so, like, you can pop off your own things, draw with Smoke Valleys, use Lamorax, get the card back, do a bunch. So, like, there's a bunch of room for card draw in that color. And I don't think... I think those colors stay the best colors simply because they have the best tools. They have the best removal options and they have the best card advantage options. But um, one big point that uh, Cosmic has made before is the fact that like because we open up deck slots because I'm not mandatory to play like four burning forces and X amount of cards, X amount of cards to be able to counter the meta. um, It does mean that it opens up the room for other decks to breathe more. Right. Yellow is kind of like a, a side casualty to the fact that because everyone's wearing burning force at four copies, it can never stick a nexus, which means it never gets a draw advantage and then barely really gets to play a game. So um, it, it, it's more so about giving more life and breath into deck building and the meta more so than saying like, oh, hey, it's going to kick purple and red out of the out of top deck contention, because that's that's probably not what it's going to do, at least with the way that set two has impacted the game. Yeah, I think there's definitely also a consideration, right? As we've seen with other Bondi games, one piece has very much the red issue, right? And it's if you make the comparison, it's like they have the red issue. We have the depths issue and it's to overgeneralize a bit, but it's basically the same, right? So 
there's a hope here that if we can do something about depths, even if it is temporary, we can avoid, you know, what do they just have? 15 out of 16 were red decks that share an insane amount of overlap, right? Like, that's what we don't want to see. And I know people are going to rush to the comments and say, oh, but what about Absolute Ice Shield? That's in every single deck, right? Well, that's a much longer one. Maybe, maybe this is a platform that we to get into it, right? So there is a, a world where people don't actually play Absolute Ice Shield. I don't know how if people realize this or not, but if you go to Japanese Battle Spirits right now and you look at the competitive decks that are topping, not everyone's playing Ice Shield. Not everyone's playing Diamond Wall. Not everybody's playing Alex, which Alex is a burst spirit who's basically Absolute Ice Shield, long story short, right? There's other considerations they have in the format. So there is a point in time where we will naturally evolve past every single deck running for Absolute Ice Shield. And I'll say something crazy. With Thorn Prison and with somehow somehow the with some of the ways the other decks are performing and how they line up with the rest of the format, Ice Shield could be a three of in some cases, right? Because Thorn Prison, if you have a much more tempo focused deck, Thorn Prison will act as a Ice Shield while also allowing you to be able to crack back and be more offensive. So maybe by year two, we might see a little bit more breathing room even on the absolute Ice Shield end if we get Advents or if we get some other mechanic um, in big mechanic in set five. So I'm curious to see where it goes, but. I know when I was playing yellow a lot, and again, I know yellow is not in the best spot, but there's been quite a few times where it's like, I really only want to see one ice shield this game. And if I lose, it's probably just because they had like, oh, they got the curse combo and it's impossible for yellow to come back, right? It's not because, oh, I didn't draw absolute ice shield. There's other factors that led to that point in the game. That said, absolute ice shield is obviously still cracked, but it's a whole different issue that uh, opens up with the game just having aggro running over everything if it was removed. Yeah, I mean, every card has haste, right? So, like, without Ice Shield existing, I feel like the game would be completely different and borderline unplayable. Um, you know, maybe we didn't need something as powerful as, like, in the turn as Ice Shield to kind of stem aggro in set one. But I personally don't really have any problems with Ice Shield. I mean, I know it's frustrating to lose games because, say, my opponent drew three and I drew one or none, but I'll take that over you know, cards that have no answer at all. Well, at very few answers like Depths and Axe-Biter any day of the week. Yeah, I, I think the only... Because sa- I, I, I believe in Absolute Ice Shield as, like, the great balancer of Equalizer of the format, almost, where it's just, like, it just exists as a necessary evil to make sure that the game doesn't devolve into ludicrousy. Um, and I think... I agree with Cosmic in that the more we get better defensive options, the less... We're going to lean on. I have decks that I do cut an absolute ice shield or two because I'm like my throne prisons do just fine for the most part. Maybe it's not like super optimal, but I think it's a world in which that can start to exist. The more we get cards like throne prison, they're able to do the work. Um, so that's and I think the only thing with ice shield right now is just that we can't interact with bursts. So there's no counterplay to ice shield outside of just like I have to crack it. And then the game yeah. devolves right. into like a crack race. Right. Like and that's that's kind of like where the peak like not fun gameplay of axe mirrors comes in where it's just like you're both racing to derm and just both racing to see who can win the ice shield race so if and and that's just things that'll come right like we're still in the first two sets i think the levels of interaction where all the different zones and different mechanics are going to come but i think burst interaction is kind of where the next step is to kind of just like fully have access to a little bit of everything that allows us to be able to interact with our opponent in every way possible if we want to cure our deck to it i think the the war dragon coming into the lore set is kind of like a cute way to say that. Like, Hey, if you absolute ice shield and you're not a white deck, you're going to lose the additional life anyways. Now, maybe you'd be able to save your turn by ending the turn, but you're still going to be punished for using that burst, which I think is kind of, we need a little bit more of that in my opinion. Yep. And for those that don't know at home, uh, white will eventually get ways to uh, bottom deck the burst cards by certain conditions. 
Blues will, blue decks will have ways to tax it. So if you want to activate a burst, you have to pay additional cores to do so. Um, and like we saw with Frig in set two with you know the taxation on drawing, we will get more of that stuff eventually. Now, obviously, some of those answers are better than others because, it, well, if they have a bunch of cores, they're going to pay for it. Versus if you send it to the bottom of the deck, well, then that's very bad. But uh, well, good for you, bad for your opponent. But of course, we have to wait and see what that balance level is going to be or the power level is going to balance out at once we start to see those. And it's hard to say. It, it, it all depends on how the devs want the different levels of interaction to go versus, you know, we haven't even seen all the different things we could do with the soul core. So I think it might be a little bit before we get to see more of that burst level interaction outside of what we just had in the lore set, or I guess I should say the lore set coming in uh, at the end of this month. Mm -hmm. So that's actually a great introduction to jump into the lore set. Uh, the lore set will be, is it releasing at the end of September? Is that kind of yeah. when it's dropping? 29. Yeah, so does that mean any of the grand opens get to play with it before we go to the pro tour? No, they nope. all end. They all end at the end of the month. Yeah. Okay. They all end the week before, if I remember correctly. I see. I see. Yeah, so I think the last one might be uh, Latam is uh, September 30th, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, I doubt Lore sets legal for that because it'd be. Yeah, there's no shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no shot. <laughs> but I think that's the last one. Okay. Um. Which again, we're kind of like in an elemental spark situation again, where like a shakeup of any kind would be really cool mid season, and it just kind of pushes itself into the pro tour season, which is fine. I mean, it gives us a couple of new, uh, additional cards, but I think this is going to be another one of the elemental spark situation where, for its worth, I like the lore set as a product significantly better. The price point makes more sense. Um, what you get out of it makes way more sense, um, and the way that the product is uh, supported, produced, marketed, like I, I like the entire message across it. But we are going to end up probably in a very similar situation where maybe a couple of cards are really going to shake up anything going into the game. Um, and the big reason for that is, and for the uninitiated, the the lore, the lore product, is, the lore set is a set of 10 promo cards. I don't know why they call them promo cards. They're 10 expansion cards of which you get two of and then like some booster packs and a lore book. And the idea is to really expand the storytelling of the world. Um, so these 10 cards are mechanically unique um, and they have a general theme of they're all telling the story of kind of uh, how the generals and the emperors and the uh all of the the crew end up overtaking kind of like the void lords and like balancing and uh bringing unity to the entire realm so it goes over the story of uh k who's like the aegis emperor um and as well as um, uh, emperor manaka uh and kind of how their journey goes together so the cards all feature that and in that way they kind of have all the thematic so on they don't really directly support anything from the base sets um, outside of a couple of interactions that kind of work with like Void Lords or things like that, but they more so kind of come together to make their own archetype um, of which they all focus around working with Aegis Generals and kind of like, hey, we're a five color deck that all represent all the different colors um, of the realm and we all come together. So you have K who like can draw one, can draw a spirit of every single color from your trash outside of red. Um, you have Manaka who can. Uh, gain 5k BP for each war dragon or general spirit you control. And those are kind of like the payoffs. Uh, generally, though, I am of the belief that this deck doesn't really exist. <laughs> um, you can put the cards together, but I don't think the payoffs warrant how clunky it comes together, especially when you account for the fact that there's no like nexus or anything like that, that kind of like unifies the entire thing together, which maybe set three will. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, and this is one of those things that we see a lot in Japanese battle spirits where there's the Galaxians and Astrals or other ones like that that are five or six or multicolored families in general. 
and they'll always say like, hey, this counts as a multicolor reduction for these cards. Or there's a nexus uh, for Mugen, uh, the Trinity Dragon is like, hey, this counts as a reduction for each one of these. So we're missing that part of it, which was, I think, goes back again to battle spirits with patch notes, I guess. And, you know, to a spirit's point, like in my mind, there just has to be something in set three for it. Because if you read the distributor's blurb for uh, the lore book, it talks about hey, here is a lore for set one, set two, and then obviously the, the micro-contained lore set itself and beyond. So there is going to be a continuation of this story into set three. So there has to be something. They're just, I, I will lose my mind if there is not something in set three for this, for this what's supposed to be archetype, family, you know, whatever terminology you want to use because there just needs to be rainbow reduction for them. So I, I'm going to call the shot now and I hope it's not a you know, misnote, but there has to be a nexus for them in set three. I'm just dying on that hill until proven otherwise mm-hmm. yeah and um it's very similar i think to the void lord thing where it's like we saw in set two void lords but there was a, and like the only real thing that was bonding them together was the fact that void ogre can bring back a void lord and all their skills reference void lords but there's nothing that brings the archetype together and in similar thing whereas yeah. like you could almost argue that the void lords are all payoff and no synergy it's almost like the opposite for the lore archetype where they're all synergy, but there's no payoff. Like you get K, which can like kind of draw you four cards, but they don't meld together in a way that allows you to really do that in a way that's like conducive to the strategy. So it's 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 a little bit tough to see how the intent is to build there. And unfortunately, that means that we're left to a couple of cards that I think are super sweet. So at least we do have a couple that I think are going to change things up, but nothing that's like really kind of bringing together saying like this is a whole new way to play a whole new deck. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I I don't think there's any cohesive deck out of this product, but I do think that there's a handful of cards that uh, are probably better than what they you know look like on paper. Like I think the Tokiwa is going to be you know pretty good, especially if the format slows down a little bit. Um, you know, say for example, if Depths happens to not exist anymore i think something like tokiwa that can kind of take over the game over time um and really make a pretty big difference yeah i there's so much going for tokiwa so it's a five drop um with three green reductions it has scale two which means if it's blocked it gets to exhaust down to spirits uh, and then during your opponent's turn uh, if you have fewer cards in your hand than your opponent you can bring it back to your hand by paying a soul core so uh, being a five cost also means it's a Beldegore trigger, so it's an infinite Beldegore trigger, which is really neat. And uh, Cosmic, we got card draw in green. It just happens to be Tokiwa. <laughs> Man, I, I'm really excited for the Gale side of it, though, because, um, you know, Gale, two, even Gale one, like I know a lot of us are playing with Mr. Scoops right now or Scapowl, um, and just, you know, effectively Gale one has been very, very strong. And obviously that one works on defense as well, but. Man, I think Tokyo, I, mean, I it, we have no more information. Obviously, I haven't tested it all, but like me personally, I would be shocked if I don't just take something green to the Pro Tour because I think Tokyo is cracked personally. Like a permanent yeah. Gale 2 for a deck that wants to be low on hand costs anyways, like that's right up my alley. I think that's what I, you know, green really wanted for, for what it had at like the top end without having to rely on Elsmoth. So um, yeah, Tokyo, I think everyone will agree like Tokyo is a pick of the lore set. Yeah, I definitely look forward to seeing how it shapes up the meta. Yeah. Gale is cracked as a keyword. I mean, you know, I know a lot of people probably haven't really tested it because it doesn't really fit into the current format. Uh, but uh, just in my, you know, small limited testing with Gale, like every time your opponent has to tap more guys down, it is just absurd. Like even that little four cost wolf guy, like 
is Gale One, I think. Like mm-hmm. he's cracked. And it's just like you just can't play these cards because you know, cards like Depths and Spider exist, but you know, if we get either more cards to kind of build Gale up into a real archetype, um, you know, it's such a powerful keyword. Yeah. I mean, it effectively says like with my one attack, I basically attacked like two or three times, depending on was like Gale one, Gale two, um, which is huge, especially on like a recursion body where like you can feel fine crashing Tokiwa into your opponent because you're going to get it back. And then it opens up the gate for you to be able to kind of do some more damage or force your opponent to have you some defensive stuff. So I think it's incredibly pushed. I love the keyword a lot. And uh, I think he's definitely kind of like the breakout card of the entire thing. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Gale's really good for the same reason that like Sword of Soros is good right now, is that it kind of puts your opponent in a position where they have to have an answer every turn, you know, or else they're stuck having to use Ice Shield, Suppression, you know, something like that to not take a ton of damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to that end, I think that's really like the blowout card. There's a couple of cards I actually find semi-decently interesting. Um, I think Godsling is pretty yeah, cool. God's and, yeah, yep. God's, Godsling is super neat. Um, whether you're playing like... <laughs> I didn't even think of this initially, but I heard on a video where it's just like you just play all zeros and then God ceiling and then you just happen to swing with God ceiling and then straight up. And then if they deal with it, you draw cards. Like, I think that's super ridiculous. What's something you yeah, can so, do? Something like that's really cool. with uh, Oh, the, the girl that brings back all of your zero drops from your discard. Pile. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So you can K actually play. Yeah. You can actually play K with that. Yeah. Yeah. So you just get back your zeros of, you know, three, four colors and then just kind of do the whole thing all over again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah so that that's really cool it's expensive but it's a cool idea you know, there's a few other cards that look kind of cool i i don't know them offhand at the moment but i know there there was like three four cards that i'm like wow okay these cards could be really good in a different world so mm-hmm. you know, for the pro tour it might be kind of cool yeah exactly um yellow's got a new two drop fabled beast which is kind of cool um you know we're at a point now where I think the the density of how many relevant two drops is good now. We have like I tried to build the deck together, and there's a lot of ones that either draw you a card or have the Fable Beast keyword, which is like super relevant because then you can do Run Paradise and not feel bad. Um, so th- there's a lot of world where that kind of works. Um, I think War Dragon is super cool again because of the potential punish for your opponent. Like th- this, thing, for what it's worth, this thing is never getting through. <laughs> um, and even if your opponent wanted you to let it through, it has confront anyways, or will likely have confront anyways, so they can't. But uh, I think it has a couple of cool cards. It's just kind of seeing how it comes together as one archetype. I don't believe so, but there's a realm for a couple of cards. I the only one that I feel like really kind of a head scratcher is Victory Oath. This is a five cost three oh. red reduction. Uh, and for some reason, when it's placed, you and your opponent each draw two cards. Now, you guys are probably better players than I am. So enlighten me. Actually, here's the thing. John is the better player. And then Cosmic understands where original Battle Spirits went. So maybe between like the Giga Brains of the two of you, either one of you guys can clarify to me why I would want to play this card in my deck. Uh, it's supposed to be balanced for the level two, but the level two sucks. That's all I got. Like, that's... <laughs> that's- what it was supposed to be is what I can imagine, but it, as far as like, and again, I by no means an original Battle Spirits expert because I learned about the game originally back in August and just like went full tilt and learned everything I possibly could about the game, and that's why I fell in love with it. Um, there was not a lot of hey group hug, everybody draws stuff, so like I don't know where that's coming from, which would then only lead me to believe it's meant to be a balance to whatever the extra part is, right? Because uh, minus this format in, in a nutshell, but. Uh, or in, a, in its own vacuum, but Nexus are meant to be difficult to remove, right? Nexus are, by rules of the game and by process of how spirits play out and all that stuff, 
your Nexus are meant to stick on the board and be a reduction symbol for you. And generally, they have some nice stuff to go with them. So in theory, this should be something like we play the we play it because it, we want the red symbols. The level one's kind of whatever. If we're both drawing, red wants to draw cards. That's the whole thing anyways. But I never want to give my opponent two cards unless the Nexus has some insane level two behind it. And this doesn't. It's like pop a 3k or whatever it is, right? Like, it's just not there for me. Like, I, I was very... That's the one card I agree is it's like, why does this exist? Or, you know, if they made it, maybe if they, made, if they made it 4k, I'd be more on board. But I think this is just, again, a, a sense of them just being a little bit too careful with it in terms of how they balanced out the level two effect. So, so real talk, I actually just went to go look this card up, right? Because I had no idea what it did. <laughs> and so I'm reading it and everything. And for... The whole time Cos was just talking, I thought that this card was yellow. <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, well, it's a yellow nexus. Maybe there's something we can do with it. And it draws cards. But then I'm like, wait, it's red. And yeah. then, now I'm like, okay, this card, uh, you know, and I, I didn't know it was red in, until I saw the red symbol in the bottom right. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's, I, I don't see too many uses. Yeah, I mean, you could play Scorched Battlefield, or 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 you could play Victory Oath. You know, I think I think this might be one of the concessions, or the like, for the sake of the thematics of what the lore set's meant to represent. They're they're making an oath. They're making peace. Here's both of us. Kumbaya, draw a card, which unfortunately reflects to Kumbaya. This card's never going to see play. But I mean, hey, you yeah, know. I mean, okay, listen, <laughs> wait, I, hold up, hold I up, can hold see up. it. I we can play see it maybe seeing for- some play with like. If there's ever a confront deck, like you can keep untapping your spirits, maybe. Mm-hmm. But like that's just that's All just right. going out on the biggest limb. All right, check it. We play this while we have Frig on board. The opponents cannot pay the cores, and thus we are the only ones drawing cards. <laughs> nope. All right. Well, we broke it. So now <laughs> there's the pro core tech. It's been spoiled. Yeah, there you go. They're free for you guys from the Church of Fantan. <laughs> uh, but- I just remember too, it has the in battle clause. So like it has to be combat. It's not even like someone's ping effect that happened during the attack step. So yeah, somehow yeah, yeah. it's even worse than I even remembered in my head now that I pulled it up again. So like, mm-hmm. no, just yeah. no. And cards exist, you know? <laughs> so um, that- I, I will say though, if we think about what combo decks might come up, because blue, right, is a very combo centric deck. For those that don't know, you have the mill side of it, but generally it's a bunch of deck filtering that eventually gets to some blue payoff. There's a world there too where it's like they just want extra draw and you for some reason want a red reduction that you can then somehow get back out of your um, graveyard for free, right? So then you're playing this for free and drawing two cards. And because you're the more combo deck, you don't mind giving your opponent two cards, but like that's the absolute extent of where I could see this maybe seeing a pace and then like, yeah, red reduction's okay. You get to, then you get to run charge draw too, if you want even more draw cards, but no, I just can't get behind it overall, but we might see something exciting come out of blue with set three. Yeah, that's generally where we are. Um, lore set to be released at the end of September. So keep you guys open for that. Um, naturally it will be legal for the pro tour guaranteed, no matter what the pro tour will have more cards available for it. That's the number one thing you can consider. So at least there's that level of least trying to miss out with cards, depending on if, when, whatever, who knows, we get a ban list, we'll see. Um, But at the very least, you do know that there's at least that little level of variation in terms of maybe you see a couple of cool cards uh, at the Netherlands Pro Tour. All right. So with that said, we'll go ahead and jump into the segment. Um, Honestly, guys, I'm not going to lie. 
Uh, we're going to jump into guess that flavor text and a lot of other TCG podcasts do that. And apparently viewers love it. It's never been really my favorite part of it, but I'm willing to support it if you guys love it. So if you guys enjoy, let us know in the comments if this is something that you want us to keep doing. For today, we're just going to do a test run so that the guys, so we all kind of get a feel and vibe of understanding how it goes. Uh, and then in future weeks, we'll probably rotate around uh, who does uh, what in terms of giving us a little bit of exposure across the board. So, gentlemen, the way that this will work is that I have pulled up a flavor text from a card. Uh, you guys can choose to guess it if you would like. If not, you have a chance to do two hints. Uh, if you do your first hint, I will give you what the cost of the card is. And then your second hint will be what its typing is uh, in terms of like what archetype it falls into. If you guess the first time around, it'll be three points. If you need your first hint, it'll go down to two points. And then the third hint will drop it down to a one point if you do guess it. And we'll just keep track of these throughout the weeks and just kind of, uh, you know, have a little fun competition between the two of us. Uh, we'll see if I force Cosmic to to make us guess more often than not, because I have to figure this guy reads more flavor text than the two of us. But who knows? Who knows? Who knows? So probably <laughs> <laughs> I do, but I am terrible with names. So we'll, All, right. We'll All right. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, so with that said, you guys understand uh, how this is going to play out. And uh, all right, cool, cool, cool. So to kick us off. Pursued by the crazed Void Lord, I fled towards the ocean with a penguin strapped to my back. <laughs> I do actually remember reading this one because I made such a big guess out of it. Uh, mm. in the Discord. I mean, it's got to be yellow, right? So now I'm just trying to figure out like... <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I, I remember it's yellow, but I don't remember. Um, I I do not have a first guess. If you got some set to yellow card, I I never play yellow card, so this is a uh, yeah yeah. And this one does mention Void Lord, so set two is a pretty yeah, good guess. I mean, it's got to be set two. It's got to be. I mentioned penguin, so it's got to be yellow. All right. So are we moving to a yeah. second? Do you guys want to hit? Yeah, the, the, yeah, hand. All right. It is a six cost spirit. It's a six cost yellow vanilla. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was just going to say, I feel like it's uh, the... Um, oh, wait. Six cost. Isn't that only the male angel that was in the set? Uh, I have no idea what its name is without looking, though. That could be acceptable as a guess that's more than i have that, that is the only thing i can think of that isn't that like the only six costs in the set mm. you can... well, okay well fine. i have nothing for the official uh the the one hint in as it were yeah all right cool um, so the last hint uh it's typing it is an other lander six costs what six costs yeah, yeah, Lumiere would be the only one I could think of. That's the six cost Otherlander. That is correct. Lumiere oh. is the one pursued oh, by Crazy Void Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to go for one that mentioned penguins, but all the other Pentinwens are really stupidly obvious because yeah. they're all because they're also self-deprecating. They're like these penguins are super stupid. So we threw them at the Void Lords as a distraction. And it's like, what do you mean? <laughs> um, so this one, I was actually surprised because um, there's like no Pentan on its back in the artwork or anything. So for some reason, it just references the Pentans. But I guess it's supposed to go with like the um, the other Pentan cards that says they use them as a distraction or whatever. So 
I'm not entirely sure how that played out, but uh, yeah. So uh, Light Emperor Lumiere, which actually uh, has some cute combos in yellow. And I'm a little bit sad that right now it doesn't see play because there's some really neat things you can do where you can give your unblockable Joker blessed and then kind of go in and gain a guaranteed life. So there's a lot of cute combos I tried to make work with this card uh, at the beginning of the format. And while it doesn't have a place now, I think it's a card that you can keep your eye on, especially since it can be any spirit, right? So um, I think there's a lot of combinations between other colors that this card can allow in the future, which I think is a little bit interesting. Also, just turning something else on for a dual eagle, uh, at least in early testing, was pretty fun with it too. just give something that normally wouldn't have blessed, gain it blessed, and then make it unblockable. Um, is always some good times. Mm-hmm. All righty. So with that said, we're going into kind of the wrap up uh, upcoming events. We've got uh, Monroeville this weekend. And of course, if you guys uh, are attending, uh, I'll be behind in the staff area. But when I'm out of there, you're welcome to come say hi. And both of these gentlemen will also be there. Um, in terms of anything beyond that, there's actually uh, quite a few. Uh, I mean, that'll be it for North America, so it'll be quiet for us if you, for whoever doesn't intend on to travel. Uh, but the Grand Open Glasgow is actually the week after. Um, so this will be the second European Grand Open. And then at the end of the month, uh, we have BSS Go Chile, which uh, I tried to go, tried to see if it makes sense. Flights are too expensive this time around. So unfortunately, uh, the US invasion does not make as much sense. But uh, I did get a message Alex yesterday asking me if I was going. So I guess he's trying to look for a buddy to try to do that all over again. <laughs> yeah, he was asking in our chat too if anyone was gone. And I think we're all skipping it. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing with me too, is that I actually don't even have my passport right now. Um, I put mm. in for it like uh, at the beginning of August. And they said getting it by the time the pro tour comes around uh, is probably going to happen because I had to pay a crap ton of money for expedited. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I'm really not stressing about like pro tour advice because like I don't even know if I'll be able to go. But yeah, we shall see. And then I think there's a grand open in Australia uh, next weekend, the 16th. I want to say maybe. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that they maybe actually 23rd. did one the same weekend. Um, right? Because Australia and Europe have had grand opens together last mm-hmm. season, I believe. Yeah, one of the weekends double up. I it, it might be the, might be the twenty third. I mean, in fact, I mean, I have the BSS. Yep, I got it right here. So it is yeah. the twenty third, actually. Okay. So, yeah. So actually, what it is is that every month is September, uh, or every weekend in September, yes. we have yeah. a grand open essentially. So we have one this weekend, next weekend, onwards, <laughs> and after that, which does give us a relatively large gap. I mean, that means that uh, after Chile, so for North America, we're kind of like not really paying, like not doing much after this weekend. Um, so realistically, there's no competitive events for us to participate in for essentially a month and a half for us. So it's going to be yeah, a lot of um, after Chile. There's only I mean, there's nothing until the Pro Tour. So there's mm-hmm. like a month of no. I mean, there'll be uh, online events in Florida, but no like grand opens throughout October. Yeah. So here's to, it, it'll be really interesting to see that if there is a ban list, there will be z- basically zero data as to what that format will look like. I mean, besides, you know, the notion that like. Hey, set two feels a lot like set one and then how much of that will carry over. But now with more breathing room, the other decks may have maybe. And, and it's, 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 I will say, here's the thing. It's a double-edged sword because like as someone who's loved playing green, I've also loved drawing cards while playing green. So it's like one of those things where like depths is broken, creates unfun board states and stuff like that. But it also arguably probably why green even feels semi-viable to me at the moment. 
um, because green does some really busted stuff, but green doesn't have a good finisher. So you're not really ramping into anything and it doesn't have the can advantage. So like you could go into Starblast draw, I guess. And especially as we're going more into a non-summon format, but um, it, it is kind of weird that in the world where we have a ban list, uh, it, it helps diversity, but also hurts diversity a little just because of like how good depths was. It means that other decks could kind of keep up. It just means you weren't as good of a depth deck, but I think it's going to be interesting to at least see what players brew up with. Granted, I do think a lot of groups talk to each other. Like, I think we're really bad at holding our secrets personally, because like I'm hearing things from like, you know, um, uh, Ryan and then things from like Cosmic and then Team TD and hearing that. And then like by the time I get to the Pro Tour and maybe it's just because I'm in a centralized position, but I'm like, I feel like everyone's told me what they're doing. <laughs> uh, aside from like the last day of changes that I see. So um, it'll be at least interesting to see kind of what people are on at the end of the day. Hey, maybe maybe the second Pro Tour will just be won by Rex uh, or Pterosaurs. Who knows? <laughs> that, that is entirely possible. So. The, the deck is super good. And if the deck can run less Nexus removal and more gas. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> all right well with that said everybody that was the first episode of the church of pantan podcast thank you guys so much for joining us uh if you guys enjoyed the episode don't forget to give it a like if you're listening to this on any of your audio podcast platforms uh giving a five-star review and any cool ratings would be so appreciated especially as we kick it off if you guys have any recommendations uh, let us know in the comments. We're super open to just kind of shaping and crafting how the show is going to go. It's our first episode. It's going to take us a couple of episodes to kind of get ramped up into it. But I know uh, we have a lot to say very often. And I think uh, this will serve as a great medium for us to at least have these conversations, go a little bit deeper uh, and hopefully give you guys more of an idea of kind of where our thoughts are when it comes to the game, the community and everything around that. So with that said, thank you guys so much for listening on this first episode and may the cores be our saviors.